If you want to turn in your Bibles to Luke uh, chapter 7, Luke chapter 7, we're going to be looking at verses 11 through 17 uh, this morning. Luke chapter 7, verses 11 uh, through 17. Uh, I'm going to read uh, God's Word, and then I'm going to pray and ask God's blessing uh, on our time in it. Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 11. Soon afterwards, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearer stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole town of, throughout, through all, through the whole of Judea and this, all the surrounding country. Let's pray. Uh, Father, you are worthy to be praised. You are worthy to be honored. God, you are so holy. You are merciful, m- merciful and um, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. God, you show your love to thousands. God, we ask now that you visit your people. God, we pray now that you send your spirit to visit us. God, we want to hear a word from you. Lord, you know where we are. You know what we need. So God, we pray that we can say at the end of today that God visited his people. God, we pray that you would just be kind to us. God, we pray for special kindness to the Green family as they mourn the loss of B and Tommy. God, we love them so much here in this church. They have done so much for your bride. God, I pray that you would just be um, gracious to the family, that you would pour out your love and your mercy, God. God, I pray that you would just remind them of your faithfulness, remind them of your um, gospel, the hope that we have in Jesus that this earth is not our final home, but you have a place prepared for us in Christ. God, we just pray as a congregation that, we would, uh, that you would allow us to grieve, allow us to grieve well, uh, those dear, dear saints. God, we also ask for a blessing upon one of our own who's sharing your word at Union Baptist Church this morning. We pray for Bill Reagan as he gets up and preaches your word. God, we pray that he's faithful to the text of Scripture. God, we pray that you fill him with unction as he gets up and he preaches your word. God, we pray that there would be a a fruitfulness in, in his preaching. God, that people would be changed by it. God, we also just pray for Calvary Baptist Church this morning as they celebrate their homecoming. God, we pray for all those people going back there who may not be in a church, who may not know you. God, we pray that you, you gift Ray Long with your spirit, that as he preaches, people will be saved by the power of God. Lord, we, we love you so much. So God, I ask now that you bless my words, 
that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart are pleasing in your sight, God. Father, I am unworthy to share your word. I am a sinner, God, uh, charged with this task. So God, I pray in the name of Jesus, one who has forgiven all our sins, uh, that you will bless your people. God, hide me behind the cross, build your people up, that they may know you and love you more. We ask you this in the name of our mighty and glorious Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, In 1952, uh, the Reverend Everett Swanson uh, was on a successful preaching tour through South Korea. He he went there to minister uh, to to the area following the Korean War. Uh, While he was there, his heart was stirred when he saw the bitter poverty of Korea's unwanted children. He knew after seeing these orphans, that he had to do something. Upon his return to the United States, uh, Everett established a program that allowed caring people to provide food, shelter, education, uh, medical care, Christian training for these Korean orphans. That program was, and remains today, the foundation and core of Compassion International. Uh, the, the, The compassion of this one man... Seeing these orphans in need has grown from one country to 26 countries. And Compassion International affects 1.2 million orphans every year. Never underestimate one act of compassion. This morning, I want to show you in this morning's text uh, three things about, that Jesus reveals about himself. Uh, And the first is that Jesus shows his compassion. Uh, The beauty of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is that he is a God of compassion. Look Look with me in this morning's text in verse 11. It says, Soon afterwards, after this situation with the centurion, he went to the town called Nain. And his disciples and a great crowd went with him. Now Jesus' ministry is at the point now where people are starting to follow him. A crowd is following because he's producing miracles. They want to know what is Jesus going to do next. And you see verse 12. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out. The only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. Now, you, just, you have to imagine this scene. There's this crowd of people exiting the town. Uh, for, for the burial of a son. Now Luke points out specifically this was the only son of this woman. But this woman wasn't married. She was a widow. So the fact that this woman did not, no longer had a son and did not have a husband meant that this woman was now going to be in poverty. She was going to be destitute. She would have no one to care for her. She would have to provide for herself by begging others to help her. A couple of years ago, uh, Ellen and I were living uh, right near a town called Manning, South Carolina. Uh, and one Sunday morning, uh, two of the uh, a family of boys uh, went to go hunting. Uh, well, on their way home, they got in a car accident. Uh, and both boys died in the car accident. Uh, so parents woke up um, one morning with two children, two sons. And that same day, they lost them both. You could just feel the grief there. That shook our whole town. A whole community was affected. That's the same situation you have here. You have a deep emotional grief from this woman. When you approach the Bible, 
Don't read it like any other book. This is a real story of real people with real emotions. I know many of you here today are in a period of deep grief and pain. And the Lord Jesus steps right in to the scene. And look what happens in verse 13. It says, And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Now we see this title of the Lord Jesus. Uh, Jesus was called many things in the gospel, but you'll start seeing this more and more that Jesus is called the Lord. He is the one sent from God. And and, and I want you to see as, as we go throughout this morning's text how Jesus continues to pursue people. He's the one who, who initiates with us. He comes to us. We, we don't come to him first. So we see Jesus initiating with this woman. And I want you to see the first thing that we see here is that he saw her. Do you ever feel um, when you're in those times of, of, of grief and pain that nobody cares, that no one really understands what I'm going through? Well, in the, in the moment you do, But I tell you what, walking with some of you who have lost dear ones, um, when people care about you, when people see you, see your pain in the midst of your grief, they remember, right? They remember. Um, I remember talking to uh, B earlier this week, and uh, she wanted me to share this with the congregation. Uh, You know, she's been battling, she's been battling cancer for six months, and uh, one of the things that she said, she said, people have really cared for me. Park Baptist Church has done a wonderful job caring for her, sending her letters, sending her food, praying for her. She was in this period of grief, this deep need. And you, church, you saw it. You saw her grief and you stepped into it. And I say, praise God how you did that. But just know this, that whatever you're dealing with this morning, whatever pain you're feeling, the Lord sees The Lord knows what everything that's going on inside your heart and inside your life. So in the middle of this grief, the Lord saw her, her desperate need. And this morning, can I say to you, beloved, he sees you. He knows your need. He knows your pain. But I I want to, to know, do we have these eyes ourselves? The Lord sees us, but do we see those around us who are hurting? You know, God has called us Christians, his ambassadors, we represent God here on earth. Do we see the people who are hurting around us? Uh, Eight-year-old Rachel Beckwith heard uh, that people in another country were dying because they did not have clean drinking water. So this eight-year-old girl saw a need. So she decided on her ninth birthday to forego all her birthday presents. She said, I don't want any birthday presents for my ninth birthday. I want you to give donations instead to a charity uh, called Charity uh, Water. Her goal was to raise $300 before her ninth birthday. Well, her ninth birthday came and went, and she was a little bit short of that $300. Unfortunately, tragically, about a month later, she was in a car accident, a 14-car pileup. Three days later, she died in the hospital. Well, people heard her story. People heard her compassion, this one act of compassion of, of, of forgoing her birthday presents on her ninth birthday. And at the end of the campaign, Rachel and her family raised 
$1.26 million to help people have drinking water in other parts of the world. This is what her, her mother said. In this painful time, it has given me inspiration and comfort, knowing that Rachel's decision, her one act of compassion, to give up her ninth birthday will help save thousands of people. Brings me to tears. See, Rachel saw people in need, and she had compassion. Do you see the people around you who are hurting? Do you see the coworker who maybe has been withdrawn? Do you see the, the neighbor who was just lonely? Do you see those in our own church who are hurting? Those widows who, uh, who may need some encouragement, people who are discouraged, distressed out, single mom. Do you see? And when you see, do you have compassion? So you never know what one act of compassion will do for someone. You just never know of of the outcome. You may come and and, and, and volunteer for VBS this coming June. And because of your laughter, because of your joy, they may want to develop a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that, that, that one interaction in one week in the summer of 2013 may change their future spouse, may change their future children and grandchildren. You never know what one act of compassion will do. It says this about the Lord's one act of compassion in Romans chapter 5, verse 18 and 19. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous." You can't look any farther than the gospel to see how this one act of compassion saves us. The Bible says, beloved, that we were condemned in our sin. God would be right and just to send us to hell for our rebellion against our good and gracious God. And He looked down and He saw our desperate need. And He sent His Son, His one and only Son, The greatest act of compassion this world has ever seen. And he came, he lived the life that we were supposed to live, and he died the death that we deserved. And God looked, and he saw that it was good, and he raised him from the dead. Therefore, if anyone, anyone here puts their hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. One act of compassion brings salvation. We have been called to share that message. Are we going to be a people of compassion? Well, not only do we see Jesus showing his compassion, we also see him showing his sovereign control. His sovereign control. Look with me at verse 14. It says, Then he came up and touched the buyer, and the bearers stood still. That word in the Greek is uh, a word called proserkomai, right? And every time you see it in the New Testament, it precedes Jesus acting in authority. So right when we see that word, if you were reading the original languages, which we, we mostly don't, I don't even read them. I, I use helps to help me understand some of these words. But when you see that word, the, the original audience would have been awakened. Something's going to happen. Jesus is going to show his authority. We see this in Mark one thirty one when Jesus shows he has authority 
over sickness. It says, and he came, same word, and took her by the hand, Peter's mother-in-law, lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. We see this in Luke 9.42. Jesus has authority over demons. While he was coming, same word, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And we, we see this primarily a, uh, something that you're very familiar with, the Great Commission. See, Jesus gives authority over mission. Right before he's going to send out his people on mission for the world, he says, and Jesus came and said to them all, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples. See, this word tells us that right now Jesus is about to come in authority. And we see what he, he did next. He says he touched the buyer, which is an open coffin, and the bearer stood still. What he probably he meant, he, you know, it, it's un, um, you know, in that day, cleanliness was the, the closest thing to godliness. So if you did not follow the, the clean, cleanliness laws, you were, um, you know, it was bad to say that, okay? Uh, well, he, he touched it, which was an act of uncleanness. But remember, Jesus is not acting according to the, the, the traditions of man. He's acting in compassion. And he really just touched the coffin just to, to stop everything so that people would, would stop their procession and then you can almost feel that something's going to happen. Jesus is stepping into this in, intense sense of grief. And what does he do? He speaks and says, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up, began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. It's a very simple healing. Jesus speaks, the dead man lifts, sits up, speaks to know he's alive, and then Jesus gives him back to his mother. Now, if you look at all the other, other, other raisings uh, in the Old Testament and the New that's outside of Jesus, you'll see a lot more energy and a lot more work that go into it. Uh, we're going to look at a parallel passage this evening uh, from 1 Kings 17. But I want you to see something here. How God raised the dead here is the same way that God raises the dead today. Preacher, God raises the dead? Yeah, God raises the dead. The Bible says is that we are all spiritually dead. We are dead in our trespasses and sin. Was it the dead man's faith in this text that brought him back to life? No. A dead man can't have faith. Can dead people have faith at all? No. But when the word goes forth, when the word of God goes forth, life happens. He was raised because God had compassion on this mother. We know in Exodus 33, 19 and 20, Moses said this, Please show me your glory, Lord. And he said, the Lord, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I show mercy. And again in Exodus 34, 6 and 7, the Lord passed before him and declared, proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast, steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who by no mean clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on their children and children's children to the third and fourth generation. 
See, not only was he raised because of compassion, see, you, ha- you could be willing to do something, but you also have the power to do it. What, what Luke is showing us right here is that Jesus Christ is God. It says in Psalm 135.6, I quoted it last week, Whatever the Lord pleases, He does, in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deeps. And in Hebrews 1.3, He is the radiance of the glory of God, Jesus, an exact imprint of His nature. He upholds the universe by the word of His power. By the word of His power. The, power, the, the world is governed by the word of Jesus. This is why... At this church, we preach the Word of God. Because there are people, maybe visiting today, who've never put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, don't have a desire to follow Him. What I pray for you, I pray that God would speak to you. Do you ever have those moments uh, when you've been in church, then all of a sudden it feels like the the preacher is speaking right to your heart? He's like, he's speaking to me. How does he know what's going on in my life? How does he know? Well, in that moment, it's not the preacher preaching. It's God speaking to you, saying, young man, arise, come to me, hear my voice. Do not harden your heart, come to me. So when I pray for you, when I pray for you before I preach, I pray that God speaks to you. You don't need me, you need God to speak to you. That's why we preach God's word, because we want you to be changed. Not only does it bring life, but it helps you run away from sin. Sin is out to destroy you. John Owen, great Puritan writer, said, If you are not killing sin, sin is killing you. This is why we preach God's word. I pray that the Lord Lord would speak to you in such a way to make you desire to serve him more than your sin. I believe that's what the Bible teaches. That's why we preach it. We want you to be changed. Have you ever prayed for a family member to get better or to be saved, to to stop walking away from sin, to come to faith in Jesus Christ? That simple act of prayer is you, you showing that you trust God is in control over that person because we cannot make dead people alive. That's only God's job. But you know what we do? We act in compassion. We share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in compassion, telling people what God has done for them in Christ, that although you are condemned because of your sin, Jesus Christ took your punishment. If you would just turn to him and trust him as your savior, you will be saved and forgiven of all your sins. What could be more compassionate than sharing that message? Nothing. Well, lastly, as we look at our last point this morning, what Jesus shows about himself is the Lord Jesus shows his glory. This passage shows that Jesus is the glorious God. Look with me in verse 16. The response from this scene. Verse 16. Fear seized them all. And they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us. And God has visited his people. Now, the, the connection to the word great prophet is really referring to Elijah and Elisha in the Old Testament. If you want to ha- read some, some, some cool things that happen in the scriptures, go to First and Second Kings and read what happens through Elijah and Elisha. 
But we, you know, we don't exactly know what the people mean at this point. Because remember, you know, Luke is writing this and just kind of relaying the story. This is what people thought at the time. A great prophet is among us. But they still really don't know who Jesus is. We can, we can get that picture from, from Mark or Matthew when Jesus says, Who do people say that I am? And the disciples were answered Jesus by saying, Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And others that one of the prophets of old has risen. And then Jesus looked at his disciples, Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. See, remember, the main purpose of this miracle was not uh, to show his power. The main purpose of this miracle was to show his compassion. Right? When he, he saw this woman, he saw that she was going to become destitute, that she was going to be alone. Jesus had compassion. He wanted to show his compassion. But this miracle also shows that Jesus Christ is God. Because who can raise the dead outside of Jesus Christ? And we see this. We'll look at this in more detail next week. But let's skip down to verse 22 of the same chapter. And, and, and he answered them, Jesus. John's disciples are saying, should we, are you the prophet? Are you the, should, are you the prophet or should, is somebody else coming? And this is what Jesus said. Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive the sight, their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. See, Jesus was using this story right here to say, I am the one who was to come. I am the Savior of the world. I have come to rescue my people. Do you see the dead are raised? And the other thing that they say is God has visited his people. I think this is really important for us to understand. Uh, I think the reason uh, more churches um, are not experiencing growth and the churches across America are declining is because there's no sense of the glory of God. God has not visited churches because churches often do not care about God's glory. We are, we are so satisfied with mere attendance on Sunday morning. We don't prepare our hearts, we don't prepare our lives for God's glory. We don't want God to visit us. We're satisfied. Americans, we play with our worship. We, we, we have to prepare our hearts. You know, I hear that there was a day at this church when this church used to be filled. 500 people. Is that right? Or is it, was it 700? Or 1,000? 3,000? It was a joke, right? There was a day when this place was packed. And I think part of the reason was because people cared about the glory of God. Part of it was people lived nearby, but part of it that there was a sense that we want to hear from God. We want to magnify God's glory. And as time has gone on, the concern for the glory of God has dissipated. It may be slowly. Beloved, if we want this church to grow, if we want God to bring people here, and that's what we want, we want God to bring people. If we want that, we have to care about the glory of God. That means Saturday night, you have to go to bed early. I know when you're sleeping. Nobody else may know, but I do, right? 
Now, sometimes that's a natural course of things, but sometimes it's because we don't have enough rest. You know, are we waking up? Are we getting a good breakfast? Good breakfast? Are, we, are we excited to hear God's Word? Or is, it, or is it not important? Beloved, we have to care about God's glory. Because here's the reality. There's a lost world out there that don't know God. And if you don't have the Son of God, the Bible says you are condemned to an eternal hell. And those people visit our churches. And if they don't see the glory of God, if they don't see anything different than what's out there, they're going to say, why should I come back? See, we don't have church for people who don't know God. We have church for God. We have church so we can magnify the greatness of the glory of God. We want to hear that week in and week out. We want our hearts to fall in love, to cherish, to, to treasure and save what God has done for us in Christ. So if people come into our churches and don't know God, they should feel uncomfortable. If they don't, we're not doing our job. Now that doesn't mean that we're going to be cold and rude. That's not what I'm saying. But there should be a, a sense that there's, a, there's expectation here. I'm coming to hear from God. I want to hear from the risen Savior this morning. And when people see that, you know what happens? They say, I want that. I don't even know what that is, but I want it. So when you prepare your hearts for worship, you're not just preparing your hearts. You're preparing maybe an act of compassion for someone who is lost to come into this fellowship and see and experience something altogether different that they've never experienced before. But see, God doesn't just visit us here. God visits people out there. You know, I think a lot of churches, we get inward. We start focusing on all, all we have here. But beloved, God brings you here to build you up so that you can go out there, so you could be the, the hands and the feet and the mouthpiece of the Lord Jesus Christ to visit people. You know, God visits us on Sunday morning through the preached word, through song. But God also visits people through their neighbors, through their co-workers, through their grandchildren and grandparents. Will you be the hands and feet of Jesus? Will you visit people with compassion? And not just with acts of compassion. The greatest act of compassion that you could have on someone is telling them the gospel. That God saves sinners in Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 6 says this, If even our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we proclaim it's not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as servants for your sake. Now listen here. For God, who said, light, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts. So God has shone in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. God has shown in the gospel into our own hearts. So when we go, we go armed knowing that God is going to remove the blinders of people in this world. But he only does it through the word of God. But we know that God has visited us already in Christ. 
That's what the incarnation is all about. But as beloved, we live for a day when God is going to visit us again. See, our Lord is coming back. That's why we have hope for, for B and Tommy. Because God says in his word that I go and prepare a place for you. And I will come back. And I will bring you where I am. That's the hope of heaven. The hope of the glory of God. This is what 1 Peter says about that visitation. And I want you to hear as I read this from 1 Peter 2. I want you to hear how God cares about how you live. It says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles or unbelievers honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. See, our God is coming back. Our God is going to visit this world. How we live matters. A doctor was traveling on a plane across the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, and during the flight, a, a young boy uh, started lose, losing consciousness. And the mother just became panicked. She didn't know what to do. The people around her couldn't help her at all. So finally, the flight attendant got on the, uh, the, 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 the system and said, is there a doctor? Is there a doctor? And then this man came and, and, and looked at the boy and, and immediately diagnosed that the boy was dehydrated. Um, so he gave him some, some miracle juice and that quickly revived uh, the boy. Now, the doctor visited this boy. He gave him the right diagnosis and the right knowledge, which spared the boy's life and for possible complications from this dehydration. See, as Christians, God has already visited us. He's given us the right knowledge. He's given us the right diagnosis. See, I was going for a big close, and that just kind of... Let me read back up. Right, so as Christians, God has visited us. Right? He's given us the right diagnosis that we are sinners. Uh, but he's also given us the right solution, that we have a great Savior in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the challenge is, will you go out into this world as ministers of the Lord Jesus Christ, helping people, diagnosing their problems, that all their problems is a result of sin, and that if you turn to Christ, all your sin will be forgiven. Life won't be perfect, but your greatest problem will be solved. You will no longer be at war with God, but you'll have peace with God in Christ. So I just challenge you, beloved, visit this world. Let God visit this world through you with compassion. Let's pray. Now, Father God, we, we ask now that you speak to our hearts. God, speak to our hearts. God, give us a sense of compassion for those who are hurting, for those who are grieving, for those who are lost. And God, let us serve them. And God, use our good deeds, use our acts of compassion uh, as we speak the glory of Christ uh, to save people. God, we know that you desire people to be saved. Use this church for that end. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.